great to see everybody. And uh, I'm going to start off with a little story. Uh, so when I was 18, I made the decision that I wasn't going to go to university. I wanted to go off and do a bit like what Emily's doing. I wanted to go off and do a gap year, something for Jesus. And my school, they were one of the top schools in the area, just saying. Um, and uh, they wanted basically everyone to go to university. That for them was their kind of the, the goal, was that everyone was going to go to university. But I said, no, I'm not going to go. And um, there's nothing I wanted to do there anyway. I didn't want to get in debt for nothing. So I thought I'm not going to go to university. And uh, after I left school, we had an A-level um, results kind of evening, like an awards evening. And I got a phone call from my school. And they said, uh, what are you up to? And I said, well, I'm doing a gap year at the moment. And they said, and, and next year you're going to go to university, yes? And I said, no, I'm not going to go. Like I've said, I'm not going to go. And they were like, okay. Um, so I went to this awards evening a few weeks later. And um, to my surprise, when I opened the booklet to find my name, it said, uh, Suzanne Powell, which was my name then, um, Christian Gap Year, deferred entry to university. And I was like, that's not what I said. And I was just really shocked. And they'd written something that made them look good rather than the truth. And sadly, this is the way of the world. And we're told to be successful in the world's eyes. We must have a high-paying job. We must have a big home, the best car. We have to exercise every day. We've got to eat super healthily. We need to go on amazing holidays. We need to mix with the right people. But when we read the Beatitudes, which we're looking at over the next few months... We don't find any of those expectations. Thank you, Jesus. God's kingdom is not like the kingdom that we know. The Beatitudes, I often used to think it's a list of rules, but it isn't. It's a list of blessings. It's a list of promises. And this is the second installment in our Beatitudes series. So if you missed the first one, check it out on YouTube. Ken did it last week. Um, and I encourage you to go and have a look at that. But this week, we're going to be looking at the second beatitude, which is Matthew 5, verse 4, and it's on the screen already. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, the word blessed here means happy and fortunate, which in our earthly terms doesn't really make sense. Happy are those who mourn. But remember that this is God's kingdom, and his promise is that if you're mourning, you will be comforted. Now, Jesus doesn't define what kind of mourning this beatitude relates to. And so I'd like to explore three different types of mourning that this could be. So the first one, this works. Nope. If someone could move the slide on, that would be great. Thank you very much. The first one is sorrow in suffering. So mourning is something that we all face in life. We might mourn the loss of a loved one. We might mourn the loss of a job. We might mourn the loss of our health or mourn the loss of a possession. And there's lots of mourning in the Bible too. And often in the Bible, people would put ash on their head. They put sackcloth on. And it was an outward expression of their grief. And they would mourn for days and weeks on end as a way of showing just how sad they were. And John 11 verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, tells us that even Jesus wept. And I think it's a really good reminder and that it's actually really healthy to let your emotions flow. If you're grieving or you're mourning, then it's okay. Let your emotions go with that. And if you're going through grief right now, you can find hope in knowing that God will comfort you. 
And this may be through feeling a peaceful and comforting presence of the Holy Spirit, or it may be through others coming alongside you. And when I think about mourning loss, I think about Job in the Bible. He loses everything except his unwavering faith in God. And his friends hear about everything that's happened to him. Uh, They hear about the fact that his family have been killed. And they hear about the fact that his whole livelihood has been destroyed. And they come to him. Grab the next slide. Thank you. So we're going to have a look at Job 2. If you've got your Bible or your phone. Have a look at Job 2, verses 11 to 13. And we're going to find out what happens. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Now, unfortunately, they then go on to speak, and they're not massively helpful to Job. Um, But at that moment, that's what all they needed to do. They just needed to spend time with him, to sit with him. And sometimes we need that too, don't we? And there have been times when I've been in church, and I've been upset, or I've been receiving some prayer, and and people have just sat with me, and they've... I'm just going to leave that. Okay. And they've cried with me, or they've just sat in silence with me in in my grief. And the action of that just means more to me than words ever do. So maybe if you're in that place at the moment where you're just grieving or you're mourning something, there are loads of people here who will just sit with you, um, just like Job's friends did. So, next slide. The next mourning is sinful sorrow. So I have a confession to make. I've not always been the angel that I am. <laughs> when I was uh, in year four, I, um, I lied to a teacher. I know. And uh, my grandma's watching this, so this is quite, this is quite a confession. <laughs> um, so I was in year four, and I hated spellings. Anyone else hate spellings? Oh, quite a lot of people love spellings. Well, there we go. Okay. <laughs> I hated doing spellings. I just really hated it. And, um, and so I, I thought, I don't really want to do the homework, spelling tests, no thanks. Um, and so I went to school. And the problem was, was that my mum worked in my class. So she knew that I hadn't done the homework. And so the teacher said to me, oh, Suzanne, have you, have you done the spelling test? And I went, yes. Um, and I instantly felt really guilty. And I knew that I'd, I'd lied, and that was really awful. Um, and I could see my mum out the corner of my eye just getting very kind of red and angry at me. Um, but I just felt such guilt and shame that I'd lied to my teacher. And so from then on, I didn't lie anymore. I was like, no, I'm going to do my homework. So I don't ever want to feel like that again. And there's a story in the Bible that perhaps isn't on the same level <laughs> as this one, but we're going to have a look at it now. And it's in the latter part of Matthew's Gospel. Before Jesus was arrested, he told his friend Peter that he would disown Jesus three times before the cockerel crows. And Peter told Jesus, that's never going to happen. Now, hopefully, we're going to watch a a quick clip of Miracle Maker. Let's see if this works. Okay, 
That's where you come from. That causes no concern. It is pleasant in some circles. But what does it matter? <laughs> this court is illegal. There must be 50 elders. And we cannot try a man by night. And he condemns himself on all charges. Let our court try a man without listening to him first. Are you from Galilee, too? Are you a disciple of Jesus? I only seek to do what is right. I know nothing. You know nothing. I, I know nothing of this man. No, I don't. I swear on my life, I've never met Jesus. If you are the Messiah, tell us. You do not believe anything I say. So why should I tell you? But soon the Son of Man will be seated beside the throne of God. So, you are the Son of God then? If you were saying so. Me? Why do you need any more evidence? He should know. He is condemned by his own words. <laughs> you are definitely with Jesus. Not from Galilee. You're one of his men. You're a Galilean. He's one of them. You're a filthy liar. Liar. I never knew it. In God's name, I never even met the man in my whole life. So definitive proof there that Peter was actually Scottish, <laughs> for anyone <laughs> who isn't clear on that. Um, so here Peter is mourning because he knows that he sinned against Jesus. But how is he comforted? Well, to, th to know that, we need to head to John 21. So turn with me to John 21, verses uh, 15 to 19. There we go, it's on the screen. And we're going to hear what happens next. So this is after Jesus has resurrected. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter is reinstated as a disciple, and he's forgiven for his sin. And when we sin, it creates a divide between us and God. It's saying, I'm going to go my own way, not your way, God. And thankfully, through Jesus' death and resurrection, we can know the comfort of God's forgiveness so that we can become in right standing with him again. And it's right that we mourn our sin but it doesn't mean that we should always view ourselves as guilty and sinful. If we have the next slide. In Freedom in Christ, and I think it was actually the first week that this is talked about, it talks about how we are saints, not sinners. Yes, we've sinned, but we're saved by grace. And that means we can see ourselves as saints, 
not as sinners. And it says this in the handbook. Yes, you are holy, set apart for God, special. At the moment you became a Christian, even if you can't pinpoint the exact moment, you became completely new in your inner person. Who you are deep down inside changed from being someone who couldn't help but displease God to someone who is accepted, significant, and secure in Christ. This is the comfort we receive. We are secure in Jesus. Okay, the third one, the third morning, if we go on to the next slide. Thank you. Is, I'll put number two there, that one is number three. Uh, Sorrow for others. Now, there's a line in the song called Hosanna, which says, Break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause as I walk from earth into eternity. So what breaks God's heart? Well, sin. Sin breaks God's heart. God created all of humanity. It says in the Bible that he knits together in our mother's womb. He knows our names, our thoughts, our comings and goings, even the numbers of hair on our heads. And it's not... This isn't just about you and me. This is about every person on this planet, all 7.8 billion of us. So it must break his heart when people he's designed and created and knows intimately don't want to have a relationship with him. And this should break our hearts too. We all have people in our lives who don't yet have a relationship with God. And they're missing out. They're missing out on God's never-ending, unconditional love. And they won't experience the joy of eternity in heaven. And thinking about this makes us mourn. But it should also launch us into action. And there was a great preacher called D.L. Moody. And he made a list of 100 friends that he knew that didn't know Jesus. And he would pray for the people on his list every single day. And during his lifetime, people would become Christians, so he ticked them off his list. By the time D.L. Moody died, 96 people on his list had become Christians. And the final four people gave their lives to Jesus at his funeral. Let's be praying for people that we know who don't yet know Jesus. Because as we've heard this morning, prayer works. Another thing that breaks God's heart is injustice. God is just. And there are thousands, even millions of people across the world who are oppressed, who are poor, persecuted, and this should break our hearts too. And there's a verse in Micah 6, verse 8, oh, it's up already, thank you, which gives us a very simple instruction. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. God calls us to act for justice. And there are some people who are called to act justly in specific locations or for specific people. The people that we pray for who are missionaries have been called to act justly in those places. And for other of us, we should champion justice. So I wonder what injustice is breaking your heart today? Something to think about. So we've had a look at mourning, but that's only half the verse. And it says those who mourn will be comforted. And this is a promise. It's not a, they might be comforted, or we'll try and bring some comfort to them. It's, they will be comforted. So how will we be comforted? Well, Jesus gave us the answer in John 14, 26. And it says this, but the counselor, or in some versions it says comforter, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Now, in Greek, the word comforted in the Beatitude that we've read this morning 
is, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, paracalio. paracalio. Um, and that's the same origin word that is used to describe the Holy Spirit here in John 14, which is parakletos. And parakletos means an advocate, a helper, and a comforter. And this is exactly what the Holy Spirit does. He helps us and he comforts us. So when uh, Pete and I got engaged, we had to decide where we were going to live. So I lived in Wokingham, which is near Reading, and um, I worked for this church called St. Sebastian's. And um, I remember we, we had a, a bit of time praying, didn't we, one day? We decided we were going to fast and pray and um, ask God, where is it that you want us to live? Do you want us to live in Wokingham or do you want us to live in Enfield? And um, it was also the day that we were looking around wedding venues as well. So I got quite hangry during the day. Um, but anyway, uh, but I remember we were sat on the, the living room floor in my old flat and um, we were praying. And we prayed that God would give us the same answer. And we both felt that God was saying Enfield. Um, and I was quite upset because I really loved where I was living. And I'd spent a long time in the church. It had been three years investing in the young people. Um, but I knew it was right. I knew it was the right thing to do. But since that point, God got me to where I needed to be when we got married and ready to move on. And that was the comfort he gave me, that I knew that there was an assurance that everything was going to be okay. And I'm really glad that we moved, just to say. <laughs> I'm really pleased that we live here. I wouldn't have been able to meet everybody here. Um, so we're, we're really glad that we moved. But it was hard. It was hard. I mourned it. I grieved it. Um, I missed the people that I left. But God got me there. And so if there are people here today who are just, they're in that place where they might have to move somewhere or they're just not sure about the next step, God's going to get you there. And he's done that for me many times. Um, and I still had to go through it. That's the thing. It didn't just automatically change. But the Holy Spirit was within me and was my comfort every step of the way. Now, Paul describes it's not just about us receiving comfort. It's about sharing that comfort with other people. So let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And I'm actually going to read from verse 3. I put 2 up there, but that was a mistake. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ, our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patience, endurance, and the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. Paul is honest here. We're going to experience suffering, but it's not, and it's not always going to be easy but we won't be left on our own to cope with it. We will be comforted. And also, suffering that we're going through now could mean that we could help comfort others in the future who are going through similar things. And sometimes God puts people around us to comfort us. In the first letter Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he described the church as a body and explains in chapter 12, verse 26, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, then every part rejoices with it. Now, last week's baptism was a beautiful picture, wasn't it, of the whole body rejoicing with James and Reg as they got baptised. 
But we've also had times where people in our church have been desperately ill, and it makes us sad and it makes us mourn. So we've come together to pray and to cry out for healing for them. So maybe today you're mourning the loss of someone or something, or maybe you're mourning for somebody that doesn't yet know Jesus, or maybe you're mourning the injustices that are in our world. Whatever it may be, be encouraged that you will be comforted. And we're going to give some space in the worship for anyone who would like to come and have some prayer for comfort this morning. If you're suffering today, please don't suffer alone. Come and tell us. We'll sit with you. We'll pray with you. Um, Perhaps as the band come up, I'll just pray um, and we'll give some space and time for that. So, Lord, we want to thank you that you have that promise in Matthew that we will be comforted. That if we're mourning, if we're suffering, if we're struggling, we will be comforted. And Lord, I want to pray for anyone today who is struggling with grief or is mourning for people who don't yet know Jesus or there's an injustice that they're just really struggling with. Lord, I pray that you will comfort them now. Holy Spirit, come and comfort us. Help us to comfort others too. And Lord, as we worship now, I pray that you will um, just come by your spirit and lead us through the rest of the service. In Jesus' name. Amen.